Not Quite Right for Us by Speaking Volumes is a podcast series showcasing innovative and diverse writers from underrepresented communities reflecting on experiences of outsiderness and their defiance against it. Not Quite Right for Us is based on an anthology of the same name, which is published by Speaking Volumes and Flipped High Publishing. In this episode, we'll hear I'm Quite Right With That by Olive Senior, Sisyphus Deformed Looks Back Over His Shoulder by Andy Jackson, and A Cruel Nakedness by E. Ethelbert Miller. Our guide is author and professor of English, Meneli Selgado. I was a child when I came to the UK. I was 11, nearly 12 when I came, and I was left here. I didn't have family here. I went to school here, but I was left here on my own. That sense of rupture is really quite acute. And in that sense, you have a sense of broken time, a sense that your life has been ruptured very strongly. And it's quite painful, actually. That break in time is something that you can carry with you all your life in a way. We carry time in us, that distinction between a time before and a time after. And to some extent, that's continued into the present day, because even though I've lived here pretty much all my adult life, I've kept going back. And I always feel I'm going back to a self that kind of stopped when I left the country or I left that part of the world and I'm returning to that self. So that sense of rupture is very real and very felt. This episode of Not Quite Right For Us is about yesterday today. I'm a writer and professor of English at Manchester Met. All my fiction and non-fiction is set in Sri Lanka, my ancestral home. There you have the past, present and future existing all at once, which is very present, for example, in Indian philosophy where time is sort of over many eons and many ages and works in cycles, moving across different time zones, you know, moving across different homes, that notion of time repeating itself, but also moving through time and time being fluid, part of a process of one's own life is absolutely central. You know, while we can live in the past, the past also lives in us. Speaking Volumes does more than reclaim and amplify the voices of those who might not you know, otherwise be heard. It creates a context for listening and understanding, for building bridges and forging new communities. I like the emphasis on speaking because that's something I relate to very strongly. Um, I've fought to find my voice through my own writing. So the term for me really resonates on all sorts of levels. I love the idea of using voice and bringing them together in these new ways. I'm Quite Right With That by Olive Senior. 
not quite right for us. I have encountered these words so many times in the publishing world where they're usually tossed around, but they haven't left much of a mark on me. I have come to conflate this phrase with another. This just won't do. Both spoken by a particular kind of gatekeeper, and for me, since childhood, both forming the pivot on which resistance turns. Yet, I had no idea how deeply entrenched this resistance is in me until I started to think about the phrase. This led me to see how many times in my poetry and fiction my speakers have resisted both these notions without conscious thought, I'd like to say, on the part of the writer. First to come to mind is a woman in the poem Hurricane Story, 1951, the migrant aspirant nurse who ends up stuck swabbing the floors in an English hospital and who keeps pouring out more and more water from her pail to create the metaphorical ocean that will reunite her with her long-lost son in Jamaica. Her resounding no to matrons, Miss Black, this just won't do, embodies a larger shout-out against all the injustice and racism she has faced since a hurricane blew her from her island home. This England that, in 1951, was approached as the promised land, the mother country for the Windrush generation, with a protective mother, Mrs. Queen, as the head. What the emigrants encountered instead were white gatekeepers everywhere saying, your presence just won't do. In my childhood, I never understood the source of the common saying, if you go to England, you're bound to turn mad. Even though there were, in my rural districts, several embodiments of this notion. Later, in my Kingston neighborhood, I would observe a man passing my house every day who was clearly one of those that England had turned mad. From the way he dressed and carried himself, clearly walking like an automaton. Years later, he morphed into the uncle in my story, the case against the queen, who apologizes for bombarding HM with letters, requesting her intervention to receive an apology and compensation for being incarcerated in English hospitals, where they effected indignity on his person, taking out his heart and replacing it with a mechanical contrivance. I can hear him throwing back at the gatekeepers, this just won't do, in his newly acquired English accent, though he doesn't actually use these words in the story. His packet of crumbling, unsent letters in a trunk and the embarrassment of his madness, the only legacies he will leave family from his lengthy sojourn in that land of opportunity. My madwoman in You Think I'm Mad Miss is not into apology. She simply asserts her right to tell her story to motorists trapped by the red light at a busy city intersection, whether or not they want to hear. Embedded in her fragmented autobiography is her resistance to authority figures, her mother, the psychiatrist at the mental hospital, and the schoolteacher from her youth who instigated her supposed fall. 
Children of empire who are taught to read and write love to employ masses' tools against him. The adult protesters, uncle or the madwoman, all proudly assert their literary skills and their right to use them against oppression. Ever see me without my paper and pencil yet? Ever see me without my shoes and stocking and toes slip under my dress? Isabella Francina Martella Jones demands of her listeners, conflating the literacy and pseudo-respectability she has been taught. The narrator of my novel, Dancing Lessons, though lacking a high school education, gains words, wisdom, and erudition over a lonely life filled with reading, and employs the writing of a journal which becomes the book as a way of untangling a lifetime of embarrassing mishaps. Writing finally enables her to reclaim a true, true self. Initially scarred by the denigration of her black ancestry by her white family members, the shame of her mentally ill-fathered out-of-wedlock mother, who had the temerity to die in childbirth, forever marking the unwanted orphan foisted on them as not quite right for us. My novel, A Little Dust on the Eyes, engages with a war-torn Sri Lanka, which I was accessing from the UK through all sorts of means, through journalism, the media, which was reporting, you know, these terrible, terrible events. But at the same time, through letters and phone calls with family there. So you're always reaching over back into this other place that had been left behind and which for a period I couldn't go back to, but very quickly I did start going back to. And that sense of split, split selves, of having a dual life, that sense of duality, which I think is really, really strong and is something very natural actually in Eastern thinking. Western thinking prioritizes a notion of either or. Eastern thinking often prioritizes a both and attitude, an inclusive attitude towards duality, where two things can exist at the same time. That sort of duality, both in terms of time and selves, carries through into all my writing. My recent book, which is really a return to Sri Lanka, me going back and into war survivors, was a way of connecting back, healing the rupture I spoke about earlier, and trying to connect, but with the full understanding that there are differences that will always remain. Sisyphus Deformed Looks Back Over His Shoulder by Andy Jackson. The hill is everywhere beyond my front door and what I carry can never be put down. It's hard to remember a time when this weight was separate from my body. Aware it's being watched, the skin grows quickly over a burden, hardens like a myth but keeps its sensitivity. There's a constant hum in my inner ear and my nervous system is awash with fatigue. The enduring task is to leave the house, practice the art of oblivion, as if that could deflect your attention. At least it's exercise or rehearsal. For what, I'm not sure. Am I lifting history? your thoughts of me. The hill could be the entire human world. The hill 
could be my shame. Steadfast and cumbersome. Each morning I wake spent, begin again, scale and descend, scale and descend, the steep face of my appearance. Who else clambers up this fateful inclination, assumes this otherness? At the summit, breathless, alone, all I can do now is take it in. The vertiginous outlook I never asked for. I have left these impressions in the earth. I will be followed. It's the position of the returnee, which is often not talked about. We hear quite a bit about exiles. We hear quite a bit about people who are born and brought up in a place, you know, in our multicultural society. But we rarely hear about the experience of the returnee, the person who goes back repeatedly and feels a sense of belonging to both places, but never a complete sense of belonging to either. So you live in this in-between space. I'm in England, for example, I'll always be Sri Lankan, fully Sri Lankan in a funny sort of way, but when I'm in Sri Lanka, I'll be seen as British. It's always that sense of being a partial, a partial sense of belonging. War never just stops like that. That is why, although the military conflict ended, I believe the war actually continues in people in all sorts of different ways. You could argue that you could call it trauma. So that's why when people are talking about injustice, you know, for those of us who are deeply connected with these parts of the world where conflicts are ongoing in all sorts of ways, we need to ensure that we don't read injustice too narrowly through the prism of the West. That's really one of my key concerns here. Uh, but we also need to remain attentive to injustices elsewhere and the harms committed across the world that may or may not be connected to Western countries. And I say this obviously as a, you know, someone coming from Sri Lanka, a country that has gone through this 26-year civil war. I'm concerned that um, our current focus may be pushing to the margins other kinds of injustice what with the government slashing the international aid budget, the kind of isolationist thinking that marks withdrawal from the EU. I'm just sort of thinking, what is the West doing? A multitude of extreme crimes are going unnoticed, unmarked and un unattended to in the global South where sheer survival is in doubt, where deep, deep suffering lies, the hard, real issues that are felt by people across the world. We need to stay open and respond to these injustices to keep our understanding of what constitutes crime and victimhood open. To do otherwise would be an injustice in itself. A Cruel Nakedness by E. Ethelbert Miller. When money was just as good as cash, we sat by the curb and shook our cups. We held signs against our chests. Signs with words no one took time to read. It was as if we were writers hanged upside down after a revolution. Our bodies twisting between the earth and sky as if the old order of things could once again survive or take flight. A few coins placed in a hand becomes the first line 
of a prayer. A glance or hello is a hymn of salvation. But each day we fail to return kindness to the world. Strangers past strangers, afraid of blood or bond. There's a cruel nakedness among people that is already visible to the touch. How alone we live before we die. You've been listening to Olive Senior, Andy Jackson and E. Ethelbert Miller with Minelli Salgado and Lucy Hanna. Music composed by Dominique Lejean. Speaking Volumes presents and promotes new and underrepresented voices to diverse audiences. The Not Quite Right For Us anthology celebrates 10 years of Speaking Volumes. It's published by Flip Die Publishing and it features 40 international writers. The anthology is available at all good bookshops or you can order from FlipDie at www.flipdie.net. For more information about Speaking Volumes, go to www.speakingvolumes.org.uk. The Not Quite Right For Us podcast is produced by Craig Garrett and Shona Hawkes in collaboration with Speaking Volumes. The brief soundscapes you heard in this episode are from a larger piece titled Rainy Season, which was created in 2017 by Gillian Howell and students from Fitzroy Valley District High School. It was recorded as part of Turanoo Music's Sound FX project in Fitzroy Crossing, Western Australia.